Hello everyone, and welcome to this Nintendo Life. My name is NBZ, this is episode 51, and Bali, the countdown to 100 is beginning right now. Only 49 episodes to go. Oh, uh, well, it'll be a little bit of a while before we get there, but uh, here we are. We're past episode 50, and we're back into the swing of things, we're back into good old regular podcasting. And just to celebrate episode 50... I moved abroad. <laughs> you moved country, Bali! It's crazy! What's going on? Where have you gone to? I've gone to Brussels in Belgium. Yeah, so and, you're... And for uh... those who know Brussels, I'm working in probably the most famous place about Brussels, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yes. Um, so yeah, you got a job, which is great, and you moved country for it, which is even more exciting. Um, so yeah, we uh, be sure to tell us many stories of your... Uh, foreign travels oh yes uh, I'm sure that'll be extremely fun uh, later down the line top, top tip from Brussels uh huh always fry your chips in beef fat alright Why? What, what does that do makes them taste amazing alright well I'll try it one day it's the, it's the if secret I have a to Brussels fryer. chips okay <laughs> well they taste good look I'm not gonna lie Brussels chips pretty fucking fantastic um Amsterdam also excellent chips I will say uh, someone who's lived in Amsterdam and has been to Amsterdam many times um, that part of Europe does chips well so anyway enough about chips uh, or fries or whatever Americans like to call um, those foods uh, we're talking about video games today so let's talk about video games Bali we're doing a show it's about video games what are we going to talk about on the show we've got what we've been playing we've got a few emails and we're going to for our third segment do a little bit of a news roundup. There's been a few little things here and there said about upcoming events that are quite mm-hmm. interesting we thought we'd mention. Yeah, so uh, we'll uh, chat about that. But before we get underway, we're just going to talk about a bit of the video games we've been playing. And Bali, I know you've been very busy the last couple of weeks, but you have managed to squeeze in a bit of a I video did. game. Um, so having completed Ocarina of Time 3D, uh, I went for a couple of handheld games on my new 3DS um, first being Ollie Ollie yeah uh, now I only played maybe half an hour 45 minutes of this game um, it's really initially it's really 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 hard it's um, very similar to Bit Trip Runner in many ways you're kind of skateboarding along in a 2D platformer setting and it's a high score game and at the same time you have to stay on your board and it's really really hard it's almost like um patting your head while rubbing your stomach at the same time it's a weird feeling and it- yeah i think the fundamental interesting thing about ollie ollie is the way that you land on a grind rail and the way you land on the ground are two separate yes. button inputs right so you have to get over this idea of like okay which button do i press for this specific surface and i think that takes some getting used to definitely and it's really really weird uh i've only like i said only played 45 minutes i think that it's a really fun game it's really cool and it's something that i think you can get better at and enjoy more so that's definitely what i plan to do um, and you have that on wii u as well right because it's cross yeah it was cross by i've not even tried the wii u version yet um i don't i guess the save file is completely independent in any case so i basically yeah there's no crossing over those unfortunately um so yeah i mean i'm playing on 3ds just because i like having a handheld game i've not played much handheld um 
And plus you're travelling and moving about at the moment, so you didn't have your Wii U. It's much better for the train, stuff like that. Just pick it up and play a little bit. So yeah, I'm going to keep plowing away with that. Sweet. Uh, I'm sure you'll uh, get into it, because for me, like once it hooked me, once I understood it and it clicked, it was no going back. I just sat there forever and ever, just continuously going at levels. So see how uh, you find it later on. And then the other game that I picked up a while ago in a sale... Um, for a reasonable price on the eShop was Fire Emblem Awakening. Yes, the long-awaited um, So Fire this Emblem is Awakening. sort of the second, well, it's the third Fire Emblem game I've played, but I never finished Fire Emblem Sacred Stones. I still need to get back to that eventually. But this, this is just, it feels like Fire Emblem 7, but with just unbelievable production values. And yeah. <laughs> I remember when this game came out, I was like so jealous of like you and Fire Emblem because I was really hoping hoping that Intelligent Systems would do this for um, Advance Wars and this game cutscenes the art the music are unbelievable I think absolutely Fire Emblem 7 and Sacred Stones look great for their sprites I think that is a unique style that will forever be impressive and look great and always look great to go back to but there's something about Fire Emblem Awakening and the fact that it's on a handheld it's just the unique selling point of this game so far for me it's it's really where it stands head and shoulders above um, a lot of other 3DS games and obviously a lot of other Fire Emblem games yeah it's very impressive like you clearly see there was a budget for this game and they just went all out um really like the other 3d fire emblem games have been on console uh and this is the first one which is like fully 3d model rendered on a handheld um and it's just it's kind of jaw-dropping that they managed to push it this far it's just very impressive visually so yeah and I mean, mechanically, it does all the things the other Fire Emblems did, but it adds in its own new mechanics. So there's sort of like, I don't even know what you call it, but you can merge units together. It's the pair-up system. The pair-up system. And they sort of introduce it, it, introduce it to you in this game where sort of Chrom will get on the back with the Pegasus... Uh, what's her name? Lumia? Lum- Sumia. Sumia. What's Lumia? That's a type of I don't poem. know. Yeah. <laughs> so Sumia is like riding her Pegasus Knight, and then Chrom like hops on the back of the Pegasus Knight, and like um, it's it's that's the that's the idea that they're trying to sort of I guess put together in this game that you can like almost ride on the back of someone's horse, and like right. it, it's cool. I still don't fully understand it, um, but I do understand sort of the. What do you call it when you stand next to, adjacent to a unit and fight, and like they become more powerful and they can? It's kind of it's the same thing that you did in previous Fire Emblem games, where you're building the um, relationship yeah. between them. Um, and in this game, right, you can do that, but pairing up is way more valuable. And originally, I was so against pairing up because what Awakening did is it removed the rescue mechanic and that's one that I relied heavily on in previous games and thought was really useful and handy to save people from certain situations but once I got my head around how pair up worked and like understood that it literally it kind of broke the game in some senses like if you pair up two powerful units they can end up just being a one man death machine and they just tear through units without any trouble whatsoever um so that's a much faster way to build the relationship and they also just end up helping each other out more but you can still kind of put units next to each other and they'll 
you'll help out, but the effect they'll really fight for each other, can block moves and things like right. that, and like. The... But but the effect won't be as great as if they were paired up, essentially. Okay, right. I still need to get my head around that a bit, but I'm sure. Yeah, I think the game's been quite good so far in introducing those new mechanics. Which um, yeah, I can't really remember nice. how tutorializing Awakening is. It certainly doesn't do the same thing as Seven does with those kind of basic chapters. But yeah, I think it's not it kind far of... off actually from what the first few I've played. It's yeah. Been... I think that if I had come in having not played any Fire Emblem, it would have been a lot to take in, but I do think it would have been manageable. Yeah, it would have been a good starting point. I think for a lot of people, this was their starting point with Fire yeah. Emblem. Um, I mean, just based on sales, it has to has to have yeah, been, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Factually, has to. Have and been. Uh, you are playing on the casual mode, which I see no issue with whatsoever. Yeah. There'll be people saying, "Oh, you fucking casual," because you know they they like Fire Emblem to be Fire Emblem. Um, but I played Awakening on casual my first time through because I've played enough Fire Emblems and I don't need the annoyance of continually going back and back plus for my case i wanted to like do everything in this game and do all the children and stuff and it just would have been a hassle um if i was building skills and everything and every time someone died i just have to restart and waste time so yeah it's i i see no issue in doing that whatsoever and um story-wise like i said the cutscenes are incredible but uh the story kind of starts with zombie warriors almost coming out of this different dimension and it's all a bit mysterious what that whole dimension is and Mm -hmm. who's coming from where and you're just your you know you're your standard group of fellows i guess (laughs) just fighting and defending the town the city Uh, have Um, you have you met uh marth yet i have met marth Mm, um mm, yeah I kind of know where that's going. <laughs> yeah, I, th- but... I think everyone knows where that goes at this point. Like Smash Brothers has kind of ruined that for everyone. I mean, though, I mean, I know zero about the wider story, so I'm still sure. very interested to see how that unfolds. Um, okay, and it's nice having your own little um, avatar. So Bally, who's like a yeah. standard brown-haired guy with a sword. <laughs> so boring, like... <laughs> Bally. I, you have to give your characters cool hair colors, not just like normal boring. God. Yeah, Terrible. I don't know. He's all right. We'll see how he goes, but yeah. So early, I'm early on still, but I'd love to try and finish this game before the end of the year, and I can involve it in our end of the year game of the year sort of discussions. Um, hopefully, yeah, that'll be good. Um, All right, great. Well, uh, anything else, Bali? Yes. So you very kindly uh, gave me a demo code for uh, the Triforce Heroes demo. Um, yes, indeed, that's coming out very soon. Next um, week, end of next yep, week, so yep. not long at all. Um, and we'd already played a, a sort of demo of this game um, at... What is that event even called? Hyper Japan. Hyper Japan. <laughs> so we already had experienced sort of the three demo levels and um, had a good time locally, at least. So this was just us having a go online um and unfortunately with the demo we weren't able to play with each other which was a bit bad but I mean... no we organized today to be <laughs> like okay let's get on let's do because the the they only have a limited time window yeah. for when you can play online because they wanted to test their servers probably and i was like all right bali we can play we'll find another person and i go up to the old man and i talk to him and he says oh you can't play with friends in the demo version i'm like fuck friends? you <laughs> god don't play with those till next friday no yeah, so, yeah. yeah but we both played with some randomers. I think your randomers were a little bit more skilled than my randomers. Um, yeah, I think the so the first um, 
group I got into was terrible, and the guy was just throwing me off the side consistently. Maybe they thought it was a competitive game. Maybe we have one. We have one health bar, so that does not (laughs) help at all. Um, So that was terrible. And then I got a communication error, and it ended. And what I will say is the thing that I'm most skeptical about here is there's a lot of lag going on, Bally, in these matches. Um, I mean, my internet. I mean, I should say, although I've moved to Brussels, I'm in London for the weekend, moving out all my stuff. Uh, My internet in London traditionally has been up and down so I I thought initially oh it was just my internet being down and then you said yours was smooth but then yours took a hit a bit and then I'm yeah. sure a bit like Smash Brothers it relies heavily on how good the Wi-Fi is of the people you're connecting to right all those sorts of things so who knows I mean and also perhaps just because there will have been so much traffic trying out this demo Maybe that's why it lagged, and come launch day, it might all be smooth sailing. But um, maybe it's also yeah, they, they are funneling people at a very specific time to test their server load, so that could be what they want. They want it yes. to be pushed to the max, so maybe that's what's happening. Um, but I mean, it was running smoothly for large parts of it, and it was really fun. And I hate to say it, but those emoticons are like growing on me a little bit in the sense where like. You, like you know you can't you have no way of talking to these random people you're playing online with but just kind of standing in places saying let's totem here use your item do this and it you can actually communicate um i think it's fine at the moment what i worry is later on when things getting more complex and levels are longer and you have to think a bit more about it exactly that might not stretch if you have to totem up destroy part of a boss or something then it'll reveal something just having a single button that says item isn't going to help tell your friend how to do no. that. So I agree there might be points where it'll be like, what what do we do? And even when I was playing with these people, we were relying on the one person with the boomerang to get to get the, the third member of our team across the lava using the boomerang. Yeah. And the other two members of the team, including me, we we just kept saying, use your item, use your item. And they kept yeah. using the boomerang like in the wrong direction, just oh, mucking no. about with bombs. And I was like, what are you doing? Just like, so it's hard to say, use your item in this direction, for example. Right, exactly. There's or no use specific it on them. It. Yeah. Which is the problem, I think. But it's really, it'll be fine because we're just going to be on Skype every time we play this game. So fuck you, Nintendo, and your stupid emoticons because we can just talk to each other. Um, yes. And it'll make it easier. It'll make um, it so more yeah, fun. looking forward to playing that next week. And the demo was fine. It was fine. Yeah. It, it was what it was. Yeah. Uh, um, we'll we'll have proper thoughts on it when we play the actual game. Um, but yeah, for now we pretty much the levels were the same as what we did at Hyper Japan. So uh, yeah. no, uh, no talk. Enough, on that. enough Nintendo games. Enough Nintendo fanboy on this side of the oh, of god the, the side of the room side of the side of the Skype call the, meta, the metaphorical, <laughs> room metaphorical room in which uh, room. Skype takes yes. place. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, what have you been playing, MBZ? I have. Oh man! So I haven't really been beating games recently, and <laughs> back to <laughs> the good old that, days. Yeah, I think a lot of that is to do with being back at uni and actually having to do work. Um, so not having as much time to just sit around and play Witcher for two hundred hours. But um, those were the days. Uh, 
that was look it was a good summer i'll tell you it was a good summer um so i've been slowly making my way through metal gear solid 5 the phantom pain um history lesson for you very quickly for people who don't know before last year i knew nothing about metal gear solid absolutely clueless um and giant bomb site that we love dearly uh started up a video series with uh, dan Riker and drew scanlon and uh, the idea of it was to show drew metal gear solid show him the series and get him to play through the games and experience it as if someone who played them at the time would have experienced it um and i started watching that series and i was like holy shit the first metal gear solid is kind of incredible like i just didn't know how innovative and how game-changing that thing was but the first metal gear solid is probably one of the most important video games ever made and my eyes were opened at that point um and i was like wow this is certainly not a game i would like to play personally but as an outside observer like appreciating it i can certainly take in a lot uh from what because, i'm watching you're, su- you're such a fan of stealth Oh yeah, exactly. That's the that's my fundamental issue with Metal Gear Solid is like I don't like stealth, so <laughs> I and I don't think any of the games, at least one through four, do a great job of letting you be stealthy efficiently. And honestly, like the way they control or the way that I saw Drew just struggle to hell and high water with controlling those games, I don't think I would personally want to play them. However, we get to Metal Gear Solid Five and it's very different um it, very different from the previous entries in the series is that number one not as story focused as before metal gear solid 4 is infamously known for having a cutscene at the end that is basically two hours long um it's essentially like a mini movie um that is not really the case in the fifth game they for whatever reason decided probably because of the shit going on with konami and money and kojima spending way too much of it uh the the story has ended up being truncated and there's lots of people talking about the ending not being what they wanted it to be but you know i'll get there i'll, I'll make my judgment when that happens but that's kind of like a really core aspect of metal gear is the craziness like it is just the most insane story that has ever been told in a game um and i'm not sure that that is quite hitting the mark here but it's also something that i'm not too worried about because the gameplay of mgs5 is fucking sublime like it is one of the best controlling smoothest open sandboxes that i've ever had the delight of being in and i think the reason for that is they give you so many tools and so many options by which you can approach situations so they'll say all right you can go uh, and get this prisoner from this base camp and you can approach this area from wherever you want because it's open world you can come at it from whatever side you want you can take people out non-lethally you can be extremely stealthy about it or you can just strap a fucking rocket launcher to your back and blow everyone to pieces like it doesn't i mean certainly you can get higher rankings if you are more stealthy and that kind of thing uh, but if you just want to go for the objective and try and finish the mission take it however you please um it really just gives you so many options um and i think one of the issues with the older games is that they had a lot of options but they didn't allow you to experiment that much um and that's why like this has been like such a joy uh to play so far so and i'm like is it is it like an open world you say sandbox can you just go and do side missions and things how does that all work yeah it's it's all kind of um 
you have uh, like it's called an iDroid. It's kind of futuristic. This is based in the eighties, but like you basically right. have this futuristic technology, uh, which you can bring up your map and like your missions and like Star managing. Wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically based in the eighties um, with future technology. Yeah, kind of. Um, so, yeah, I mean, side missions are popped around everywhere. Um, you can just go around on your horse or just run around the world and just come into them naturally. Uh, every kind of outpost is populated with people. I will say the the world isn't really... It doesn't necessarily feel like your traditional open world in the sense that there's lots of empty space between areas. Um, kind of the main points that you get to are these big bases where all the enemies are and there's like resources in them that you can get mm. and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of freedom there, uh, but it's not huge. Like, it's not an overwhelmingly massive Grand Theft Auto V level of... Um, a world it's kind of more segregated areas uh, but it still gives you the freedom to go wherever you want whenever you want and that kind of stuff but really I think MGS5 is more about the stories that you tell like the things that you do personally that are just fucking crazy and you want to tell people about them so there's this one mission where you have to basically blow up a couple of tanks uh eliminating a few generals and uh they start coming along the road uh, as soon as you find this intel file so you find the file and uh, the guy's on the radio and he's like all right i've given you that predicted path this is where they're going to go they're going to get to this base try and destroy them before they get to the base and i go down to the road and i see i've got a little bit of time so i place down some c4 i'm like all right i'm gonna hide in the road wait till this tank goes over the c4 blow it up and just destroy these people as quickly as I can so the tank goes over the C4 I blow it up but it doesn't really do anything because it's a tank and like it's really well armoured so they kind of stop for a second and then they keep moving I'm like shit oh dear they're they're on the move I've got to get this sorted before it all goes haywire so I get on my horse and I take like a horse horse. yeah obviously I mean come on Um, I get on my trusty steed ride on this route (laughs) round the corner I get to a bit further down the road I'm like okay I'm going to place like three bits of C4 here like surely that's going to do it so I lay those down hide in the corner tank comes over and I fucking blow it to smithereens which is fantastic it gets destroyed but there are still two more vehicles like there's this um just standard uh truck and there is another tank behind it so they keep going like the tank gets destroyed but they keep going to the base i'm like shit they're like gonna make it in two seconds they make it to the base and i find a vantage point i'm like okay how am i gonna do this because at this point in time i don't have a rocket launcher so i can't just stand there and rocket launch from far away and keep hiding which is the way when i watch drew play through this mission he just used the rocket launcher and and annihilated them which was a much easier way of doing it um instead i basically sniped the dude because he got out of his truck and I, i killed him and they noticed and they all went on alert so i was like fuck okay I need to get rid of this tank and I can't do it without getting like right up close to it, planting C4 and basically trying to gun it out of there and blowing up as I leave. So I go back down, find this alternate route into the base. There are like 50 dudes. They're all on alert. They're all looking around, but it's under cover of darkness. So like their visibility is a bit lower. I can kind of get through. So very, very slowly, I crawl like zero miles an hour towards this tank. The tank also looking about it shot up to the area I was before and they kind of are all kind of milling around that area. And I crawl around it, I go and plant four bits of C4 along the tracks, and very slowly make my way back. I get up, 
I get spotted by a guard. I'm like, shit, I need to blow this thing before I get uh, taken down. So I blow up the thing. The tank explodes. I run as they shoot at me from the base, call my horse, jump on it, and just ride off into the distance (laughs) finishing the mission. And it was just the most spectacular thing in the world. And that, that is the kind of unique story that you don't get from other games simply because they don't give you the options like they don't give you the ability to macgyver a solution out of nothing i swear Um, i swear Vinny caravella on the giant beast cast talked about maybe even the same mission and he says he just he just strapped loads of c4 to his horse and then just got the horse to ride beside by itself (laughs) like beside the tank and just blew up the whole thing so like yeah and then (laughs) the other the other hosts of the beast cast were like Vinny, you you disgust me like (laughs) just blew up your horse and like so and and that's the big impression i get as someone who hasn't played this game is that there are these set missions within like you said a sandbox and you can just do whatever you like to try and complete this mission um and that is really really um interesting and like it's something i'd love to try eventually like um a game like this yeah you sh- you should try it when you come over at some point like it's it's just so much fun like it never gets old is the thing and again i was saying before i don't like stealth games mainly because they just don't give you the ability to be stealthy and this, you have so many tools at your disposal. Like, you also have the buddy system, which is, like, you have your dog with you, or you have Quiet, who's the sniper. And I've just upgraded her so that she now has a silenced sleep sniper. So I can just be like, all right, I'll 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 look at this dude, and I'll say, okay, fire. And she just shoots his dart from, like, 20 miles away and takes him out before I even get noticed. Yeah. Um, and, like, the way that you just approach things is... It's so much fun. Like you, you're able to mark enemies. Like you can just zoom in with your uh, scope and just make sure you know where they are at all times. Also, if you die, they still remain marked. So, like it doesn't kill any of your progress. You know where everyone is in the base, so you can go around and know that you're going to be in danger or not in danger. And also, there's a really cool thing where if you get spotted, there's a thing called reflex mode where it basically goes into slow motion for about maybe six seven seconds and it allows you the opportunity to like line up your shot and get like a sleep dart in their head before they notice you and before they alert the enemies uh, and go on alert basically so it uh it's been a thrill ride so far it's so much fun and i'm doing like everything in it i'm not sure when i'm going to finish but it will be at some point in the future I'll talk about it when I finish it, but um, for now, those are my thoughts. I'm really enjoying it. Um, the other thing, uh, talked about Witcher earlier and me spending forever in it. The new DLC for The Witcher 3 came out, Hearts of Stone, uh, which I heard... But you hadn't even finished the first bit. <laughs> what do you mean I hadn't finished the first oh, bit? Oh, had you finished it? I finished Witcher 3, yeah. Oh, right, okay. But I, I thought there was a lot of side stuff that you were still wanting to do. No, I mean, like... There's lots of stuff in Witcher, which is... Or is that just infinite? Yeah, kind of. Well, not really. Like, you can finish it, but it's all, like, these random question marks on the map, and none of those are really story-based. They're more just, oh, here's a bandit camp that's been taken over, you just kill them all. Like, it's not really... 
the strong point of that game like i did all the side missions which are very much you know they have dialogue they have characters they have uh, interesting cutscenes and that kind of stuff uh, so i did all of those so i basically finished most of the content in the witcher just not all this random uh, question mark stuff on the map um, but the new dlc came out and that is just a bunch more missions um really been enjoying it there was a mission yesterday that i played which was basically an hour and a half of just being at a wedding like there's such interesting stuff that this game does where it's not like going out and just fighting things forever you're just like going around a wedding and taking part in like activities at the wedding like you have to chase some pig into a pen and you have to play this game where a woman throws her boot into a pond and it's like oh you need to be a man and get her boot and be chivalrous for her and like it's just these weird traditions of this made up world uh, of a wedding um, and it was really cool like i didn't fight anything i just talked to people and like built relationships and that kind of stuff and yeah the game just keeps adding variety and diversity and and it just continues to be fantastic enjoyable experience is there going to be even more dlc yeah there is there's going to be another like so this one is supposed to be like a 10 hour adventure um i think i've already put probably 10 hours into it and i'm not done yet um (laughs) But uh, the next one that's supposed to come out, like, next year, like, first half of next year, uh, is supposed to be a 20-hour uh, thing, and it also includes a whole new area. So this was basically adding a little bit to the current area, like, uh, expanding it out a little bit, um, but the, the next one is going to be a brand new landmass, so that is exciting, and I'm wow. very uh, interested to see how that goes, but I guess I'll play that when it comes to it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I've just been playing long open world video games and I think I need to finish something soon because I might drive myself insane Bally might happen Um, but yeah that's pretty much it Um, we will come back after this break Uh, we'll talk about some emails I guess and uh, yeah that'll be good that'll be fun so uh, don't go anywhere we'll be right back after this back to the show everyone it is part two and that means it's time for your emails but before i read out the first email let me remind you about the address which is this nintendo life at gmail.com that's this nintendo life at gmail.com we've got quite a few to catch up on but it'd be nice to get more because we always need more so 
Our first email is from Peter. Dear Bally and MBZ, even though I've been a lifelong gamer and Nintendo fan, there was a period of several years, approximately from 05 to 2012, that I took a break from following the game industry. It seems to me that during that time, the concept of the AAA game emerged. What determines what is a AAA game versus a niche game? I noticed during this most during this most recent E3 that those labels seem to be applied rather inconsistently. For example, media coverage seemed to gloss over Xenoblade X as being niche, while highlighting games like Fallout 4 as being AAA. As far as I can tell, both games seem to be sprawling open-world RPGs, so why such a big difference with how they're regarded in the media? Even Nintendo themselves seem to relegate Xenoblade X and Fire Emblem Cross SMT, for that matter, so to secondary status. Why do you think that is? Thanks for putting on a great show, Peter, who's at Capsule J, that's C-A-P-S-U-L-E-J-A-Y on Twitter, and he's from Georgia, USA. All right, Peter, thank you very much for that question. Uh, it's a really interesting one, because there are lots of ways that we can look at the phrase AAA. I think there are different ways in which it's defined, and I think different people have different opinions on it, uh, which is why it's a little bit... It's, it's a bit of an amorphous concept. Uh, if we go down to, like, the Wikipedia entry, the dictionary definition, um, I think the three core aspects that people would pin down as being AAA is, number one, a lot of money invested. Uh, millions of dollars, lots of yen, the euros are plenty, there's money in the bank going into that game, right? So that's number one. I think that's probably the single most important factor determining a AAA game. Number two is, is it commercially successful? Does it sell a bunch of copies? Is it over 10 million, you know? Is it a game that passes a certain threshold? That is also a factor. And I think the third one, which doesn't necessarily fit every case because this is obviously dependent upon critique uh is reviews and how well it does critically right so uh if a game is like the witcher 3 then it will meet all three of these criteria right it is very expensive it has a lot of money invested into it it sold very well and it also was very well critically received so that is kind of the definition of today's AAA game there's also the situation where you can have your Assassin's Creed from last year, which fits the criteria of two of those in that a lot of money invested and also commercially successful, but did very poorly on the critical side. So I think if we're coming down to it, I think it's the first two elements that are the important ones. However, there are obviously examples where this is not the case in terms of the media's perception. And for me, the way that the media translate the phrase AAA these days means a few things. Number one, it means high production values. You know, it has to be cinematic uh, or visually beautiful. You know, it has to be a good look. It has to be uh, kind of a thrill ride. Uh, Number two, open world. Open world is the definition of what AAA games are becoming in this generation. Um, and I think that is something that a lot of people will associate with AAA. So that is kind of the feelings that a lot of people have. And uh, it's it's hard to pin down. But um, yeah, I think if, if we start that as a baseline, that's for me what AAA is in two different spaces. So uh, when it comes to something like Xenoblade, why isn't this the case? Uh, well, a few reasons. Number one, it is not very well known by the public in general. Uh, For example, listening to Giant Bombcast last week, and they were talking about all the AAA games coming out this year, um, and they just 
mention them and they keep knocking them off. And at some point, uh, Jeff mentions Yoshi's Woolly World, which is an interesting one. Um, and uh, maybe Bally can talk a little bit about that and like maybe why that wouldn't be counted as AAA. But there was no mention of Xenoblade at all. I think it's just lack of knowledge into the industry uh, about that game. So. Yeah, I was really thinking hard about this idea of AAA in the Nintendo context. And, like, I mean, in your opinion, I mean, I'll say what I think first, really, but I think in the last, say, couple of years, would games like Splatoon, Mario Kart 8 count as AAA? I think Mario Kart 8 absolutely does. I think Splatoon does, yeah. But, but um, And that's because they've a lot of money was invested in those games, they've commercially done very well within the the poor commerciality the poor sales of the Wii U yes um and they've both been critically successful yeah i the thing though with the media is i feel that they just relegate nintendo to the sidelines because they're so far behind and because they're so irrelevant to so many people these days the idea of AAA is now pretty much wholly associated with these realistic open world action shooting, you know, everything that third party publishers and people uh, on Microsoft and Sony platforms put out has become what AAA means, which is why things are forgotten in the sense of something like a Mario Kart. Like, everyone will regard Mario Kart highly and they will think, hey, this is a really fun, really good game. But I'm not sure that many people say, "Oh, yeah, it's a triple A game," because it like it doesn't fit the traditional molds right now of what is viewed as a triple A game. If we go back to 1985, Super Mario Brothers is a triple A game, even though it's a 2D platformer. But now we have a 2D platformer come out, and it's not viewed in the same way. So. What about a game like FIFA? Hmm, that's an interesting I mean, it's one as completely, well. Completely, it sells well yes. critically. It's debatable. I guess it does all right. Um, there's a lot of money goes into that, but at the same time, you 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 were, sto- you were mentioning that story and open world and these ideas were quite important to AAA, and it's obviously not got that. So, so no. it's a really difficult thing to sort of tie down. Right, and I think the the real problem is that there is within the games media a baseline for what AAA is, as we kind of just talked about, and not many people in the games media play niche Japanese RPGs. Not many people in the games media are are sports fans and will play every Madden and play every FIFA, right? So, because of that, those are kind of shoved to the back of their mind and, you know, put on the back burner, and as a result, yes, in definition they are AAA, but for the consensus of people critiquing and talking about games they just don't enter their minds uh so i think it's more of a you know uh, being in a bubble you know we're, we're in this games media bubble and outside of that clearly there are millions and millions of people who care about these things but we don't right a, yeah. a lot of and, and, and i so. think nintendo just has a really unique and not always healthy relationship with the games media western yeah. media i mean i think i think We've not talked about AAA being between, you know, Western games that are traditionally far more story-driven, open-world, um, that kind of thing, versus Japanese games which are don't really fall into any category. Maybe perhaps 
far more RPG related. But then you can you could talk about something like Metal Gear, which I guess right. is, is Japanese. Yes. Um, but I'd say that kind of that kind of style of game within Japan is more unusual. You can, oh, absolutely. Uh, Metal likewise. Gear is kind of an anomaly in many yeah. senses. And I think. So. <laughs> And I think there's just too much consensus around games like Assassin's Creed that are developed in the West, that sell well in the West, that sell poorly in the East, um, that where they're just kind of trying, not not purposefully trying to shove out Japan, but I think that Nintendo just get caught by not following the dogma of, you know, here's our annual AAA game. Yes. Uh, here's our Assassin's Creed, here's Call of Duty. That's not. That's another game that we've not mentioned yet. It's, right. It's quite hard to define. Um, and you know, Witcher Three. I mean, a very Western game. Yeah. Um, incredibly open world. Incredibly expansive. Story driven. Unquestionably AAA. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the number of assets um, in that game and things right, like that. Yeah. So I just feel like Nintendo. I think if I think if you spoke to someone who worked at Nintendo in Japan and like you translated it, I think they'd be like, "Ah, AAA, yeah, what's that again?" I don't think I don't think it's yeah. something they know about or strive to be. Or no. Whereas I think if you sit down perhaps in an Ubisoft development studio and you think, I think they genuinely do think about how can we make this game more epic, more interesting with story mechanics, and how do we make Assassin's Creed even more epic in a AAA sense? And they talk about bigger worlds, more stories, more quests, more missions. This this kind of thing. I just don't think that conversation is certainly had in Nintendo and arguably within Japanese development. No, I think it has a lot to do with the current state of Japanese games development these days. Uh, The console market has basically fallen away and everyone's on mobile and everyone's doing handheld stuff and Again, like th- those are spaces where there are some really high quality things happening in on 3DS. You know, something like Link Between Worlds, which was exceptional and like such a well crafted, well honed experience. But again, like that for some reason doesn't get mentioned in a discussion of AAA games by the fact that it's a handheld game. You know, yeah. it just gets pigeonholed because it's not on a TV with a sound system. You know blaring things out so yeah Mm. it's um it's kind of obvious that for most games media outlets they just don't care anymore and because they don't care they don't put the time into research or know about the stuff that's happening on nintendo platforms which is why everyone is going to ignore xenoblade chronicles x apart from the very few minority um and despite the fact that yeah it's basically a triple a game so yeah yeah well Really good question, Peter. Like, I'm sure this is something that's going to come up again because it is really interesting the way that you know you can watch a, a Western Western coverage of a conference like E3, and it's just mm. all it's all about the AAA. Yes, um, yeah. and in many ways that's kind of a shame because there are gr- lots of great games that aren't AAA, and likewise there are plenty of stellar games that are AAA. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, our next question is from Ryan, MBZ and Bally. I heard this question the other day on another Nintendo podcast, and I thought it was pretty interesting. The question is, have you ever missed something crucial in a game, only to find out you missed it after the fact? While playing the tutorial in Metroid Other M, I somehow missed the part that explains that you can dodge attacks 
by double tapping the D-pad. Without this move, some of the later bosses became near impossible. The final boss took me over an hour to beat, and I sat there with no idea what I was doing wrong. I felt like like a complete idiot when I found out later that you can easily dodge almost anything in the game. Have either of you had similar stories? If so, I would love to hear them. Thanks, Ryan. Well, it's funny you should ask, Ryan, <laughs> because one of our favourite stories uh, is teed up perfectly for this question. Oh, yes. Um, I also have to say, like, trying to play Metroid Other M without that dodge sounds like a suicide mission. <laughs> like, holy shit. I was tapping that thing the entire game, uh, so I can only imagine your pain. And, uh, yeah, that sounds horrible. But, Bali, yeah, I'll let so, you take it away. Um, I bought The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker when I was about... 12, 13? I can't yeah. remember, even remember now. Um, and I played basically up to about. Uh, ta- t- no, it must have been Tower of the Gods um, by myself, I believe. Yeah. And I'd gotten past Tower of the Gods, and my good friend, um, Ali T, uh, I was with him, and we, were pl- we, we played a save file of Wind Waker. He was playing it and I was watching, and I'd already seen every all that game up to Tower of the Gods and and the end of Tower of the Gods. So when I was playing, um, and I was just playing by myself, like I said, I got to Godin, the boss of Tower of the Gods, and basically the idea with Godin is he's a, he's a stereotypical Zelda boss. He's a big head and two big hands. And they're often linked with the bow and arrow. So in this case, you have to shoot using the bow and arrow his um, his hands, like a little target on his hands, as well as his eyes, I believe. And then uh, you bomb him or something. I can't quite remember now. But you, basically, shooting your arrows is key. Um, so I didn't know about a little thing called hell targeting. Mm. <laughs> um, so I, believe it or not, did that entire boss fight without any L targeting. And this was this was not the HD version. Like I said, this was GameCube, so there was no motion control with nope. the aiming of the thing. So I was literally aiming my bow and arrow using an analog stick. And I think I did it like third time, maybe. Or maybe maybe it took me twice. I can't remember. But it was tough. And I really had to focus. And I thought... God, that was a bit of a tough boss for like the third dungeon. It's like this game hasn't been this hard so far. (laughs) Why is it suddenly impossible? Like, yeah, exactly. And I didn't discover L targeting until. I mean, obviously, there's a part at the start of the game when you're learning how to use the sword where you briefly L target once. Mm -hmm. Um, But I just thought you only had to do it to get past that tutorial i was 12 back and like then 13. you were the then. meticulous like read all the tutorials guy that you precisely. are precisely so. i i was literally about to come to that um yeah. but yeah i'm now so meticulous um but back then yeah i thought it was just a little thing you had to do to get past the tutorial at the start and then i didn't l target and like right up until after tower of the gods um i'd fight all the enemies without l targeting um, and you know, I think that does demonstrate how easy Wind Waker is in parts. Right, that you could get you there without need, doing yeah, that. I really wouldn't like to take on many of the enemies in a game like Ocarina, for example, without L targeting no. or Z targeting, as it is in that game. So yeah, I only discovered my the how how far off the beaten path I had gone by watching Ali T playing Godin, fighting against him, and all of a sudden. The camera was at this funny angle, and he was aiming his bow and arrow at the hands. And I was like, "What? What are you pressing to do that?" And he's like, "I'm just L targeting." I'm like, 
whoa, I never <laughs> did that when I fought this boss. And we were both just sat there like, wow, how did you even beat it? Like, we were just sort of <laughs> stunned. Um, but no, like you said, MBZ, I am an absolute stickler for a tutorial. I like going, at the start of games, I like going incredibly slowly, reading everything really slowly, making sure I take it all in. Um, if if I if I have the option of doing tutorials, I will do every option. Um, and it, I just find for me, it just makes sure that I don't miss um, things like that. And it just makes the game in general a smoother experience. So I learned the lesson of my ways. Um, and yeah. I'm, I'm a reformed gamer now. So well, <laughs> that's all good. That's good. No, uh, I, I still kind of have a habit of not doing that. Um, like most recently with Metal Gear, I've been learning a lot of stuff through watching uh, Drew and Dan on Giant Bomb play, because I kind of just like, oh yeah, they're telling me a thing, that's fine, I'll figure it out. And then I just, I wouldn't figure it out. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I can be a little bit of a um, a stickler for and, and not often, sticking. And often so. on simple things you might miss, um, they might be quite hard to sometimes look up online. Like, really yeah. simple stuff is sometimes quite hard to, to Google. And at the start of the game, that's why I'm just so... Like it's slow to just take it all in, make right. sure I'm doing the right thing, and yeah. So we are definitely that is definitely an area where we are very different. MB said, "I think um, so. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Uh, I don't have like a specific example. I would say blocking in fighting games. Not that I didn't know how to do it, but I just never thought it was useful. You know, Back- even 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 your current Smash Brothers sort of um, style is far more offensive than defensive. I would say, yeah, yeah." Um, I definitely am confident of getting a hit in as long as I just make contact. <laughs> right, whereas I'm just like spamming, spamming quite a lot. Um, yeah, so when we played Soul Calibur and stuff like Smash back in the day, I just, I would not use the shoulder buttons. I wouldn't, I would refuse to block because I was like, that's stupid. Why do you block? You just hit, you want to do damage, don't you? That's how the game works, right? The person <laughs> wins who does the more damage, so do that. That's the more damage, um, exactly. Yeah, and so that's, uh, I've made my way through the uh, the weapon master mode of Soul Calibur 2 and got really far in it, like, never blocking at all. And there are some parts in that game where, like, you really have to block, and somehow I just kind of brute force my way through. But, you know, it's how it happens sometimes. So, yeah. So, our next question is from Ollie. Good day, lads. Ollie from Sydney, Australia. Still loving the show. My question is, what do you think the NX has to do to outsell the Wii U? Obviously, marketing it better would help, but I'm more thinking hardware and software. Thanks for answering, fellas. Well, I think this is a million-dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this is what everyone really wants yes. uh, to know. Um, if I'm blunt, I don't think the NX has to really do anything to outsell the Wii U because the Wii U has performed so catastrophically uh, that I think it will not have a hard time uh, doing better than its predecessor. But I do think there are a lot of things that Nintendo should do to get it a good start. Number one, let's focus on the launch. Let's get a good launch. Let's get the messaging right. Let's make sure it's marketed well. Let's make sure people know what this system is and not have confusion. Let's just get out of the door and have a strong start because a strong start is so important as we have seen this past generation with how microsoft fucked themselves so brutally 
uh, before the Xbox One was released, they're now still paying the consequences. Like, there are still people who think that you can't play used games on Xbox One. Like, that is a messaging error that they made early on that is still, still haunting them to this day. And I think Nintendo feel the same way as about, uh, the, the naming of Wii U, where there are still people who do not understand it's a different system. Um, so if there's one thing, they need to make sure people know what the fuck this thing is. That is the baseline. Uh, after that, I think there's a strong possibility that they could do really well at launch um, if they position themselves as having a lot of Wii U software transferred over to NX. Um, this generation currently, there's lots of remasters and stuff happening on the other platforms, which is fine, but those aren't really driving sales necessarily, mainly because so many people owned the previous generation, and so so many people have already played those games. Um, whereas in Wii U's case, there's such a small user base that having, you know, a Splatoon version remastered, having, uh, you know, Mario Maker, having the ability to take these games from Wii U and basically plant them as launch titles means that they're new to the majority of people and they're also very, very strong uh, propositions. So that could possibly be a thing, but it also would mean that either there would have to be some sort of input device similar on NX to Wii U or something along those lines, because I think those games kind of require the gamepad. Um, so, yeah. I think the simple trick that they're definitely going to go for, I'm convinced at this stage, is the whole dual thing with handheld. We don't know how that will happen yet, but I mm -hmm. mean, traditionally, since the Game Boy now, uh, Nintendo handhelds have sold really, really well. And the second the NX has something to do with handhelds, and as long as, you know, this iOS... Um, mobile market isn't is doesn't completely outswamp it which i'm confident it still won't because i'm confident there's still a market for gamers who want a gaming device that isn't a phone right um, i mean like 3ds has sold 50 million that's exactly a pretty sizable chunk of people who have said no fuck phones i want a dedicated device so the second it's something handheld related it's just going it's going to sell gangbusters arguably um there's no reason why it wouldn't and that's the the 3ds didn't start with great marketing it didn't start with great launch to launch or anything so that like making it relate to the handheld is almost like a, a sales buffer if they can if they can do a good launch and it is handheld related having a good launch would be incredible and like what you were saying about the good launch Amy says is that so many big Nintendo first party games haven't come out in quite a while like a Metroid game like and obviously with Federation Force it was hinted that they're holding back something big for an NX like make that a launch game get the hype going that'll get amazing critical um hype going for a game and something and obviously there has to be something mainstream with it as well so i don't know like you said a splatoon or a mario maker or something that could appeal i mean to a the easy audience. answer is smash brothers because you can do a game of the year you know fully dlc'd out version of smash brothers with all the characters and everything and that could be one of the strongest propositions for people hmm. because i think there is a desire from so many people to play Smash Brothers, but they don't find Wii U appealing as a system. And as a result, they don't invest in it and they don't get to play the game. But if you have this new system, which is more powerful, which is maybe speaking to people a bit more and has a version of Smash Brothers that is basically the ultimate edition, hmm. that I think could be an exceptionally strong launch title. 
And I think on that, I think I agree it would be exceptionally strong, but I think we know that um, Sakurai is quite burned out. Oh, and, of course, you know. And obviously, there's so much work going on with DLC characters for the Wii U version that it's going to be a long, long time before another Smash Brothers. Um, but I, I, I do completely agree. Excuse me, belching here. I don't know what's yeah. going on. <laughs> um, I, and I think a really simple thing is make sure that this system is marketed well and is distanced as far as possible from the Wii and the Wii U. Don't make the system white. Don't say anything about appealing to um, any sort of market that would appeal to a Wii or a Wii U owner. Try try to try something different. Don't 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 do dual screens like the 3DS or the DS. Do something different that, that makes it distinctive. Um, I mean that's why. I think that's why the DS initially was quite successful. It was such a distinctive break from the Game Boy. Um, it's why the Wii was quite successful from the GameCube. It was completely separate. And the Wii was so burned out by the time that Wii U came out. That brand was dead in the water long before the Wii U came out. It was just yeah. a suicidal move to go with Wii um, in the name and make the system white. Well, obviously there's a black version as well. Right. But it, it, they still had that white one marketed heavily. So sure. make it multicolored or something just different or a funny shape or it I'm, needs I'm to sure stand out be. and people need to know that it is a new thing essentially exactly so. and I think the launch lineup is so crucial as we already said but marketing launch lineup have it relate to the handheld and it's, it can sell 40-50 million and I think yeah. that's what Nintendo need I think it's possible I think gamers like us will absolutely love it whatever they do but that we're Nintendo enthusiasts right look we're not the, we're not the, the people that they are trying to get exactly. here we're already invested so it doesn't matter but for there us, are but, people yeah. out there who love Nintendo games who did not buy a Wii U because they felt it was it was dead in the water there wasn't going to be enough software for it that I mean, I agree that those that did buy a Wii U will absolutely love games like Mario Maker, Splatoon, um, 3D World, all these great games, Pikmin 3, but it was always quite clear that those great games weren't going to last because the system was kind of dead in the water from the off, and NX yeah. needs to change that, because I think there's a Nintendo gamer in everyone, and they just need Persuaded to... yeah. No, pick absolutely. Up something like an NX. Absolutely, I, uh, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, and you know, Nintendo haven't marketed Wii U particularly well, but in recent times, the way they marketed Splatoon was pretty fantastic, and it has paid off for them. I think you know they yes. went hard with those advertisements, and they targeted them at Nickelodeon and at all these places that kids were going to see them and be entranced by it. And uh, they, yeah, I think they were successful in doing so. So we know that they can still market a product. They just need to try, goddammit. So. Yes. Yes. Well, I think that's all the emails for this week. But again, the email address is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That's thisnintendolife at gmail.com. We love your emails. Just send them in. Uh, Let us know where you're from. That's always good fun, too. And yeah look forward to reading more emails next time um but i think the next segment what we're we going to talk about in the next segment <laughs> i don't know it's a mystery we'll <laughs> find out when we get there so don't go anywhere we'll be right back after this
Alright everyone, welcome back to the show. Uh, this week we weren't really sure what we are going to talk about, so we decided there's been little bits and pieces of news, there's lots of speculation that there could be a Nintendo Direct soon, uh, and there's lots of just little things, so we wanted to give our opinions, give our thoughts about them, have a wee bit of a chat. Uh, so Bally, where do you want to start here? We've got a few uh, things on the table, do you want to dive straight into Dev NX stuff? Alright, All right, let's dive into it. So... Uh, reports came out very recently uh, that Nintendo are sending out development kits for the NX. Uh, this likely means that Western third parties are getting their hands on it. Now, I would imagine, Bally, at this point in time, Nintendo have had internal dev kits for a while. They have been working yes. on stuff, they've been building stuff themselves. Uh, I also think that Japanese third parties are much more in on the ground floor. The reason I say that is because back when Square Enix announced Dragon Quest Eleven, they said that there would be an NX version, or at least they were considering an NX version. They couldn't directly say that, I think, because Nintendo were like, no, I can't mention NX. Um, but they said it anyway, they invoked the <laughs> NX. Um, and so that makes me think, like, people like Capcom, Square Enix, um, Atlas maybe, you know, some of these Japanese uh, publishers will have access to NX stuff before anyone else will, uh, likely because those are the third parties that Nintendo has relationships with that are actually meaningful, like, you know, Bando Namkai and ba- ba- Bandai Namco, god damn it. That That's just... what I did a few, <laughs> yeah. a long time ago. I think Vinny did it on the Beastcast as well recently. Bando Namkai. Bandai Namco, yeah. Bandai Namco. Because they used to be Namco Bandai, which is why it's weird now. They globally changed it so that their name was backwards and uh, confusing. Anyway, let's not talk about the minutiae of company names. Um, Yeah, so dev kits are out. This means a couple of things. Number one, uh, maybe Western third parties will be interested in NX at least for like the launch period and they'll maybe see what they want to do with them. Number two, I think this means that we are going to learn something about NX very soon because it's now out in the open where yep. lots of people know about it and Nintendo can't necessarily control that. So. Yeah, I was I was just going to ask if like how how does a if you have a dev kit how what's the deal on keeping things secret and how do you have a whole team of developers working on the game without something leaking to someone like it's, surely it's impossible. Yeah, and, and that's just kind of the nature of it, unfortunately. These days, it's so easy to proliferate information, and um, 
I think there was some stuff before PS4 and Xbox One launch where we knew details to some degree about them um, because people had dev kits, right? They're, when you're wanting people to make stuff for your platform, you don't really have the option to just hide everything away because they have to make games for it, you know? They have to have stuff for launch, so they have to give people the dev kit to work with. And, uh, you know, the double-edged sword to that is that they can just go and tell people they're not bound by the ironclad fist of nintendo of japan you know they are just they have to do what they want with it here's here's a controversial idea so assuming like you said we presume they will announce the nx and show it in some form or another at e3 Mm -hmm. e3 is a really long way away from now yes if i was nintendo this is very controversial why not reveal it in some sort of direct or something? Like, keep control over how it gets announced. Because, like like we've just a- agreed, like, it, the, it, the specifications of the NX and what it actually is must be leaked in the next few months. So why not just get ahead of the bandwagon and include something NX-related in a direct? Yeah, I I don't think they will say anything this year because they already made direct statements saying nothing until 2016. But they said just 2016. They didn't preclude themselves for just saying E3, which does mean, like Sony did at the start of the year the PS4 was announced, they held their own event. You know, Sony and Microsoft unveiled their consoles at their own events. They had stage shows. They did them, streamed them out. And they controlled the message, which I think was a smart move for them. Before, you know, getting to E3 and having it all be about the reveal, they could concentrate on games and concentrate on other stuff. I think Nintendo might want to do that, because especially when Wii U was being announced, like, we had, like, the February or January before that E3... People were hearing the name Project Cafe, and there were rumors about the gamepad, about it being a controller with a screen built in. And so, even going into E3, all of us had some idea of what this device was going to look like and what this device was going to be. Which means that, like, if they don't want that happening again and they want to keep it as secret as possible, then try and get their message out early before everyone else starts leaking stuff. Do you? So. Do you think that dev kits going out now suggests holiday 2016 is more or less likely? It's interesting. I've I've heard a couple of different opinions on this. I think some people are saying if they're going out just now, like it has to be 2017, like clearly that's not enough time. But I think that maybe because this is happening with third parties, it's more them saying, can you please try and get a port of whatever games you're working on to come onto our system, you know? Um, I think that Nintendo have probably been ramping up development-wise for NX for quite some time, and perhaps that means that they are ready to launch stuff in holiday 2016. Um, it may be a bit of a rush, but you then also look up the lineup for next year, and it is so paper thin that you can't kind of imagine them going for the next 12 months without a new system being introduced. You know, 3DS has some good stuff coming up, but it's tapering off. Wii U is all but dead, really. We don't have any information on Zelda since that last time we saw it at the Game Awards, um, and they are just refusing to acknowledge its existence. There's a lot of kind of things in the air that have that feel about them that it could be 
a holiday 2016. I think I might put my chips on the table there, um, especially because, as I said before, Nintendo and Japanese developers have likely had their hands on this stuff much, much earlier, as in like the start of this year, probably. Mm. So that's interesting. You you were quite keen on 2017 before I seem to yeah. remember, and I was quite based on no knowledge at all i was just I was quite keen on holiday 2016 but yeah no i think i agree like with the all, all the internal development they will have been doing i think holiday 2016 is something the industry would want because like you said there's such a um there's hardly anything coming out and it would be great to have something at that point in time um and yeah it's the wii u like you said it's just not it's not it's not ticking it's not ticking over and Zelda is like vanished for some strange reason and who knows yeah. what's going to happen yeah uh so i mean this article comes from the uh, wall street journal a very reputable um publication and uh, a couple of things that were mentioned in the article um they say that people familiar with the development plans said nintendo would likely include both a console and at least one mobile unit that could either be used in conjunction with the console or taken on the road for separate use so this kind of confirming a lot of people's theories that the device will be uh, cross platform in the sense that it will be like ios where you have iphone and ipad everything sinks between them and you have this united ecosystem um i don't think this is what people say is like the hybrid device uh because they're just going to be separate systems that have a link between them is how i see it um where do you come down on that ballet yeah i think that does sound a lot like here's here's a de- like you said a device you can take with you unified system in some way um what we're saying we've said on the show a number of times like handhelds sell well with nintendo they always have done probably always will because definitely in my opinion mobile is separate to handheld devices so there's definitely a market for that and it's sensible it's exciting it's that's exactly where they need to go so definitely looking forward to it now here's the interesting thing uh that i want to add people have kind of thought that maybe they release one system before the other. So oof, oof. You, you could see a situation that maybe the console side needs a bit more development, a bit more time, and their handheld has been around much longer. The 3DS is an older system. That is the one that traditionally, if we were in the normal cycle for Nintendo, would be the one that was going to be refreshed soonest. So there could be a situation where they put out the handheld device, and obviously their handhelds sell far better than their consoles have in recent years. The handheld device gets out there, people buy games for it, people get excited about it, and then next year, maybe summer, maybe spring, they put out the home console version and they push it as you already own this handheld device. All the games you have there will work on this one and try and get that ecosystem going like Apple did with iPad and iPhone and say, you know, this is all going to be cross-platform. What do you think of that idea, Bally? Is that possible? I think that is possible, actually, in the way you said it. Um, I think the one caveat I'd say is that the the home console part of it would have to be affordable. Yes. Um, And I think it's very important that if both parts would have to be in the affordable realm to sell well. Um, And I always thought that, like, if it was sold together, it would be... Just because there's so much stuff you're getting, you're getting this device that goes with you. You're getting a home console that links to your TV, supposedly. That's a lot of stuff, and like that will 
by definition, cost a lot of money. So splitting it in two, in many ways, might... People, like, there's been so much market research done that, like, people buying two separate things for half the price is more appealing than buying one bulk thing. Like, even though it's the same price, it always looks and feels cheaper buying things separately than it does to bulk buy like that. So I think something like that could work, actually. I mean, Nintendo have kind of already dipped their toe in this in the sense that with Smash Brothers, they put out the handheld version first and then waited and then put out the console version. And yes. that was to their benefit because I don't think had they put those both out on the same day that I would have gotten both. I'm not sure it would have worked out that way. I mean, I probably would have because I'm crazy, but you know, most people wouldn't have. And yes. I think that benefited them in that situation. So it could very well be the same thing. I think they maybe are in danger of if they put them both out at the same time, then they end up having a situation where they just don't sell as well because they're splitting their own market. Um, so it, it, it's a tough one, and like I hope they've done their market research because it is it is a it's a mathematical game to do with marketing as much as it is the product itself. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it's that kind of stuff is really complicated, and like how how what and the timing of in the of the year, for example, like one coming out before holiday twenty sixteen, one coming out after. Do people buy more handhelds before or after sort of holiday? How does that all work? I don't know. It's it's interesting, and as much as we've learned about what the NX is to do with release dates and things and how they're going to release it and launch it and bundles or whatever we know absolutely nothing <laughs> like no. how, how that's going to work i mean talking about pricing uh there's also another interesting wrinkle here uh to the story and it says they also said nintendo would aim to put industry leading chips in the nx devices after criticism that the wii u's capabilities didn't match those of competitors now that bally is very surprising to me um, knowing the Nintendo of the recent era and their desire to not use powerful hardware in favor of a cheaper, more affordable device, if they are trying to compete on a power level with Sony and Microsoft, then I don't know if they can come down to that same price level that they have been known for before. Mm. So. And, yeah, that is... It's, it's it's personally exciting because I'd love for Nintendo to put in a bit more power and have and keep up a bit more in terms of resolution and 60 frames per second on lots. I mean, they're already doing 60 frames per second, but you know what I mean, technically. Yeah. Uh, visual fidelity and all that. Thing. Yes. I, that'd be great. Um, I I'd just be concerned from a business standpoint as to how well expensive Nintendo hardware can sell. Um, yeah, it, it's an interesting one, especially because the Wii U. Is kind of expensive still for for what it is, um, and I don't know that they can put out a system for four hundred dollars and be able to sell it solidly um, in a market where a lot of people have already made their decision. You know, Xbox and PS4 are just doing gangbusters. They're yeah, selling how on earth than... are you meant to get the third parties involved with something like that when they're already all signed up and all the contracts are in full swing on the other systems? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one. It's a such an interesting future. Um, I'm sure we will be talking much more about it. But uh, for for now, dev kits are out in the wild. I'm sure we'll hear something, some rumblings about what the NX actually is. That's the interesting thing about that. Is like 
we don't know what the fuck this thing is at all. Like, yeah. there's speculation, there's people thinking things here and there, but we actually don't know anything. Um, so we're getting to a point where things are going to happen, um, and it's exciting. So, uh, moving on then, uh, another interesting little thing. Uh, we don't have a Zelda this Christmas, Bally, but maybe we'll get another remake. Uh, people have found on the Wii U eShop an icon pertaining to uh, The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess, and uh, the words Twilight Princess HD have been found in the eShop. Um, what does this mean? Does this mean that they are positioning another HD remake of Twilight Princess? Uh, is this a clerical error and it just means that Twilight Princess is coming out on the Wii Virtual or Wii U Virtual Console? Um, what are your thoughts, Bally? I think initially it's like, wow, they're potentially doing another Zelda remake. Like, what about the other? I don't know. Like, we've not had a Mario remake in forever. Like, I think the last Mario remake was. Um, 64 on the DS? Maybe, yeah. Maybe. I mean, like, and with Zelda, we've had the HD remake of Wind Waker. We've had Ocarina 3D. We've had Majora's Mask 3D. Like, now we're potentially getting Twilight Princess HD. Like, I mean, it's exciting. I'm just surprised that it's only Zelda remakes that seem to be coming out right now in relation to Nintendo. I'd personally absolutely love it if it was HD um, Twilight Princess. I mean, the remake of Wind Waker, everyone thought Wind Waker was already an incredible looking game and the HD remake obviously is an incredible looking game, but the actual difference between the two are basically a bit of polish, some like new sky boxes and things like that that look very nice. Um, and obviously all the mechanics they introduced definitely helped that game a lot. But if you look at the visual murkiness that is Twilight Princess and some of the ugly textures they have in parts, if you can get something like that game into HD, it could look unbelievable. It could be a real big hit, actually. But they would really have to do a lot of work. And that's, that's the thing, the thing where yeah. it's kind of weird to me because Wind Waker didn't need a lot of work. Like, no. it it just at a base level looked great to start with. Twilight Princess doesn't look that good. Um, and, I mean, there's a craziness that they could go and say, okay, we're just going to rebuild Twilight Princess in the Zelda Wii U engine, right? Like, that, that would be insanity. I don't think they would do that. Um, but just a straight-up... HDification without changing the textures or anything would be a little bit I mean, of a bad if, way to go with if it. If that is the answer to we don't want to put Zelda Wii U on the Wii U, we want to save it for NX and we'll just use the engine and make a Zelda HD, um, Twilight Princess HD on the Wii U, I'd. I mean, if the NX does come out holiday 2016, I'd kind of be okay with this scenario. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure about it. It's it seems very skeptical right now. I don't know if this is going to get announced like this is another thing which is like w- would this have been a Nintendo Direct and are we uh moving towards a point where like that's going to happen soon because there's lots of things that we think should be We've revealed. We've been due a direct for so long now, haven't we? It's a bit strange. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's it's not given Nintendo's uh, you know, past few months obviously. That's it's, true has been very uh you know up and down with uh ceos and everything so i'm not surprised that we haven't had a direct but it does feel like there's this there's this build coming like it's, it's it it's feels a like it's mountain been bottled of up. news to come yeah um so i don't know this 
this is a weird one. It could happen. It couldn't. I'm, I'm just not clear at all on on how interesting this would be to me personally. I think it also brings into question, like for my let's play, <laughs> do I then decide to just play through this game <laughs> up to the point that I am in that, and then just continue from the HD version? Oh, who like, knows? I, uh, I, I don't know, but. I'd crazy. love to. I'd happily pick it up full price and play through that game. I think Twilight Princess is a fantastic game, and and it's been a long time since you played it. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, so. I always I want to replay almost all the Zelda's I've played. In any case, this would just yeah. be more encouragement. Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree. Um, so yeah, let's then talk about a few virtual console games that apparently came out this same uh, leak or hack of the eShop um, that look like they're getting positioned to be released at some point in the near future. Um, we have some interesting stuff on the DS virtual console. Apparently Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks both coming there. Um, I'm not sure how those would work, if they would work all that well uh, on the gamepad and TV. I think they'd work quite well, actually, because... Um... They're almost similar to a game like Canvas Curse, where there might not be much going on the top sc- on the top screen, but almost all the action is on the single screen. So you could have it directly on the gamepad um, playing, which would work quite well, I could imagine. Yeah, it's a bit weird though, isn't it? It's like the main action is on this tiny screen, and then the top screen is just a map. You know, the the TV real estate has been taken up by like this inconsequential thing there are boss fights where they where they do go double screen on purpose and yeah you're very, right yeah there's some really interesting cool boss fights in those two games actually in the way they incorporate the touch screen into um and the real estate of two screens to, to sort of they're, ver- they're all very sort of vertical bosses it's quite weird but yeah. yeah it's also one of those games that actually could be fine to play the gamepad like on its side uh because it is basically 100% touch controls like there's little things that use the buttons but it's very rare that you use the buttons in either of those so um, yeah that'd be cool Uh, there's also apparently Mario 64 DS is going to be coming out which is like okay let's just be as redundant as possible let's put out you know the GBA (laughs) version of Yoshi's Island let's put out the DS version of Mario 64 because fuck it who cares why not Um, also maybe something that lends credence to Twilight Princess HD actually being a remake is that Skyward Sword apparently is going to come to the Wii Virtual Console Um, so that is a thing Uh, great Zelda game I'm sure lots of people who didn't play it will enjoy that I'm sure it will come um, with loads of warnings saying remember you need Wii Motion Plus and all this and it'll be a huge faff again yeah Yeah, exactly that was a a little bit of pain but um, uh, we have Metroid Other M uh, as well, uh, which uh, you know, Bally, that's uh, that's one that you have your eye on, right? <laughs> I don't know why you oh, want me to play dear. this game so much. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like it's so far down the list and on, on games I want to play. Yeah, um, and Warland Shake It is another standout which you have my copy of, so that will be fine. Uh, you won't need to pick any of these up, I think. But, um, interesting, nonetheless. Lots of good picks I think for the virtual console like many weeks will go by and there'll be nothing worth my time I feel on the virtual console but I think there's some good stuff coming up in the future a lot of this I think will be American virtual console some Mm. of it will come to Europe and there's so much on the virtual console already that I still need to pick up and play that yes it's just ridiculous at this point the amount of backlog that I need to get through yeah 
We'll do it one day. We'll do it one day. One day. Um, yeah, I, I guess maybe close this out with some thoughts on things that could be coming up soon. I mean, apparently Nintendo have a, uh, a maintenance update on Monday, I think, the, the day this podcast goes out, basically. So people have rumblings that it may be to do with the DNA uh, account system. Um, it could have something to do with the Splatoon update. Uh, it's, this is going to be across 3DS and Wii U, all their platforms, and um, I don't know, Bally, what, what are your thoughts? Do you think anything major will come out of this, or are people making a bit too much yeah. of a deal about it? <sighs> Who knows? I mean, it might just be, like you said, maintenance for maybe Triforce Heroes coming out, or like you said, the Splatoon update, but, I mean, if this is the let's get our unified system on the go, like, between Wii U and 3DS before the NX comes out or something, that, I mean, that that could be big, but, I mean, like like we've already said, that'd be a bit strange without a Direct if they just launch something onto us cold. I don't know. Yeah, it would be, but it's also in keeping with what they've been doing the last couple of months. Um, you know, when they just dropped all those release dates and everything. At the moment, I do feel like this transition period is ongoing and they maybe still haven't figured out what they want to do with Nintendo Directs, um, which means that they're just dropping news via the traditional means of press releases in the way they like used the good to do old it. days, eh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. I, I, I like the new era. I really I enjoy the, the way they present directs and everything. So, exactly. Um, it, it does feel like going back a bit to the archaic old times. Um, but it also means that Nintendo are more likely to kind of trickle things out. You know, I feel like the direct maybe hurt them in some senses because it takes a lot of oomph out of their E3 presentations if they are consistently having yeah. these announcements coming throughout the year. It, and maybe dialing back on that and not having as many of those or you know not putting as much information out there does mean that they can kind of control their message uh, for E3 a bit better and, and maybe surprise people a bit more when it comes to that. So Yeah, and I think if you step back and you look at 2015 so far and what's to come... I think for the, I mean, we are the choir that they are preaching to, but I think they have done that incredibly well this year with, I mean, so many great games, Splatoon, Mario Maker, that sort of thing. Um, I think in that sense, they've, they're they really doing with the Wii U what they want to do. They've sort of accepted, yes, we've not appealed to everyone, but those who we have appealed to, we're going to, you know, give you some solid content. And it's... It, Triforce Heroes again everything we've seen so far looks great about that game it's just yeah like we've already said 2016 it's so up in the air <laughs> it'd be yeah. really nice if the NX did come out then and we just we need some information we just need some like clear official information that would yeah. be really nice and I mean, uh, there have also been reports recently uh, that DNA are very close to announcing the first mobile game. Um, that is basically days away, if not weeks. Um, and I am very interested to see how that goes down. Um, certainly, what I feel is going to be the case is that because DNA are working on the loyalty program and the integration, the the mobile game will not come out until they have also put the um, the new program out. And I think maybe it will be day and date where they're like, okay, here's this unified thing. Everything you do on Nintendo platforms and on the mobile games will be linked together. It'll be this unified account system and uh, it'll all work in harmony. And 
yeah, I feel like that will happen very soon. So maybe next episode we'll have a mobile game to talk about. I don't know, Bally. Here's, we'll, we'll here's, here's a dumb question. Okay. I take it the mobile games are exclusive to mobile devices and they're not going to be on the 3DS. Yeah, no, they they are going to be iOS and Android exclusive, I believe. Okay. I mean, they could in the future bring them to 3DS, perhaps. You know, they did stuff like Puzzle and Dragons being on 3DS and all that. You know, I all miss, these Japanese mobile I miss, games. I miss my buttons. Need some yeah. buttons. Yeah, so... Um, don't take buttons away from me. They won't, Bally. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. They they have a dedicated <laughs> platform for you. Codename okay. NX. It's a dedicated okay. video game platform. Imagine don't be afraid. NX has no buttons. Oh, jeez. Don't. Let's not... <laughs> Let's not get into that. Sounds uh, horrible. Virtual joystick. Oh boy. Well, Bali, I think that'll that'll do us. That's uh, a good bit of speculation, bit of news. Um, exciting times ahead. I'm I'm just so curious. Uh, the next couple of months are going to be pretty crucial for Nintendo. Um, the way that their mobile game does will, I think, inform a lot of what happens in the future, and uh, it will be a time to be watching this company. It's weird, though. It's weird. Just one last point. Yeah. Because in the next few months, well, specifically November, we're going to get the big, you know, holiday titles coming out. Fallout 5. 4? Fallout, is it? 4? 4? 5? 4? Making up games now. Uh, But there's so many big holiday titles coming up, and I'm a little tentative that if they do have, whether it's a direct or some sort of news announcement, if they leave it till then, it might all get a bit drowned out, and they're kind of... October is, you know, it's the dead zone of gaming where very few games come out and Nintendo have traditionally done directs and news announcements. So if it's feeling like it's all it's all changed, it's all different now. Yeah, no, they, they don't want to go head-to-head with Halo 5 and Tomb, Tomb Raider. And, and I'm worried um, they will. Yeah, no, we'll I know. We'll see. Um, yeah, we'll we'll talk about it, don't worry. Don't worry. Uh, if no one else does, we're always here. Uh, so, Bali, that's going to close out the show for today. Uh, where can people find you on the internet if they want to hear more of your nonsense? Please follow all my nonsense on Twitter. My name is at Ballyman91, B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1. I've been tweeting lots about nonsense. And also follow me on Meverse, where I post even more about nonsense. I am the same name on there. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to play next. Probably back to a bit of Rayman. I need to finish up that game. So Yeah, you'll have access to your Wii U out. now. So Exactly. Uh, I've had two the... weeks without my Wii U. I'm going to transport all my electronic devices across on the Eurostar. So. Across the ocean. Across under the, the sea. Ocean. Under the sea, as they say. Uh indeed uh, alright you can find me on the twitters I'm at LordNBZ LordNBZ is my Meverse name uh, again Mario Maker stuff has kind of slowed down I think we'll both get a bit back more into that um, the Reikening and Patrick Klepik and Dan Reikert's nonsense has we need made an equivalent me... of the Reikening yeah it's made, it's made me like oh, I need to play more Mario Maker it's just it's so good it is so so much fun um, so yeah so, some of that stuff will probably be happening um, I also plan to play Star Fox 64 3D uh, which probably you let me um, probably going to do that next week because I'll be home for a little bit uh, and I'll have my hand held with me so I think I'll focus on it for that period of time but while I have my PC you know I've got to keep trucking on with this Metal Gear this Witcher um, so that's what I'll be doing uh, you can email us Bally where can people email us at please send your emails to this Nintendo life at gmail.com we love all your emails even the bad ones 
Yeah. We read we read them all. So, we read uh, them all. Uh, we may not read them all on the show, but we do read them all. Uh, yeah, uh, that will uh, will pretty much do us. You can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher. You can subscribe and rate and review us over there. That would be the loveliest thing in the world. Please give us an iTunes review. That would mean the most things to us. Um, YouTube, of course, as always. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much going to do us for this week, Bally. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks' time. Some more Nintendo, some more chat. The March to 100 will continue. It will indeed, and uh, I'm sure it will be there before we know it. Uh, But until then, thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. using today's show were Nuclear by Mike Oldfield, featured in the soundtrack of Metal Gear Solid V The Phantom Pain, and an a cappella cover of Midna's Lament from The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess from Smooth McGroove. Uh, Alright, what do you want to say at the end? Um, thank you for listening. <laughs> you have uh, been the paramount of help today. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking... <laughs> On point. Um. I'm recording a little.